Man, I tell you what, I don't know what I would do without Wednesdays. Y'all feel me on that a little bit? Like imagine you didn't have Wednesday sandwich in the middle of your week. You had to just go all week long from the front end to the back end without getting the privilege and the honor of getting to gather together and see what God's doing in this place week in and week out. I'm about some Wednesdays and I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to gather week in and week out and be a part of the move of the Spirit of God. He's working amongst your generation. He's working here amongst this specific group. We're seeing God do some things that honestly, we have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a long time to see. And I'm gonna be honest, it's cool to be a part of seeing it when it goes down. You guys are prayed for week in and week out before you ever even get here and God is answering prayers in ways that you don't even know that you're being prayed for. But what a testament to his love and his grace and his mercy and his pursuit of each and every one of our lives and the desire that he has to have a relationship with each and every individual soul. And it's awesome. I love you guys. I love seeing your awesome, beautiful faces week in and week out, filling these seats up, staring back at me. But I hope you're hungry for the word tonight. Are you hungry? You ready? Let's go to Romans chapter 6. The Lord has prepared a table for us there to come and feed on his truth. And I got to sample it already, preparing it for you this week, and I know it's good. There's some good stuff. So elbow somebody next to you and tell them it's going to be good. No, you got to tell them like real Southern, like it's going to be good. It's going to be like, it's going to be like fried chicken good. It's going to be like mashed potatoes and gravy's good, like corn on the cob good. Like God's got some good stuff prepared for us tonight from his word, Romans chapter six. We're gonna focus specifically on verses 12 through 14, but I'm gonna back all the way up to verse six for a little bit of context as we pull this train out of the station tonight. So God's word reads, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves or your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. It's quite the beautiful thing Jesus has done for us. Making it possible that we can unite with him in his death, but then also unite with him in his life so that our old sinful self can be done away with and we can be set free, no longer being held under the dominion of sin or death and now able to be used for his glory and his honor, living in a righteous, holy, set apart way. That he would take the wrath of God that we deserve so that we could receive the grace of God that we don't is very much so a beautiful thing. To be a people as unworthy and as undeserving as we are to receive the work that Christ did on the cross in our place so that we could have redemption and forgiveness of our sins so that we could no longer be in bondage or enslaved 
to those things and death could no longer rule over our lives but we could be granted the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus make no mistake men and women is quite the beautiful thing it's marvelous but here's what burdens me a little bit because I've experienced it on my own life and I see it in so many other lives as well is that too often what Christ has redeemed us from is what we still choose to remain in And so depression lingers on and anxiety lingers on. Chronic fear lingers on in the life of those who have been redeemed and set free from such things. And those things are struggles, fleshly struggles in and of themselves. But what burdens me the most is that sin lingers on in the lives of those of us who have been redeemed and set free from it. Immorality continues gossip spreads, our anger is still left uncontrolled at times, our talk is still unwholesome in ways, pride abounds, selfishness reigns, lying perpetuates so much of what we do, sin just continues to abound unfortunately in the lives of those who have claimed to be redeemed and renewed in Christ. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, he has redeemed you from all sin because of Jesus, your life has been set above and apart from all those lesser things that I just mentioned. It's a greater life with a greater fulfillment, a greater satisfaction, a greater purpose, a greater calling, a greater plan. And I just don't know that we're grasping the grand reality of that. And that's mainly why I want us to focus in on verses 12 through 14. So check it out with me again one more time. Paul, writing to these believers, says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's talk tonight about being instrumental for the kingdom. And it's important that we understand that in the right context from the get-go. I want you to notice that I didn't say instrumental to the kingdom. God doesn't need any single one of us to carry out his plans or his purposes or his actions. He is sovereign regardless of any one of us in this place tonight. And he will accomplish whatever it is he sets out to accomplish in his will. So we are not instrumental to the kingdom because God in his greatness doesn't need any single one of us individually to accomplish whatever it is he desires to accomplish in the building of his kingdom. He can accomplish his purpose without our help. But he has declared that he wants us. I think that's an even greater truth. It's not that God needs you. It's that he wants you to use you for his kingdom. Not just for participating in it, but in the building of it. We can offer ourselves as instruments unto him to be used for the building of his kingdom. But hear me say this. There's choice involved on our behalf if that's going to take place. And I don't know about you guys, but... I want my life to be instrumental for the kingdom of God. 
I want to be an instrument that he can take up and use however it is he desires in whatever ways he desires to do whatever it is he desires. That's what I want my life to be. And if you're one of his children, that's what he desires for your life to be, instrumental in his hands. And so I've been asking him to do that in and with my life here lately. It's shown up a lot in my prayer time. And in the midst of that and in the midst of my studying, he's shown me a few things. So can I share them with you? Do you mind? Permission to speak freely tonight, to share, you what, share with you what God has shown me? I promise it won't be a waste of your time. I told you earlier it's going to be what? It's going to be good. This is going to be good. So if we're going to be instrumental for the kingdom, here's one of the primary things you've got to do first. You've got to put sin in its place. You've got to put sin in its place. Before Christ became your Lord, sin was your master. It held power over you. It held authority over your life. It just had its will and it's had its way within your life and within your heart. We were held captive by it, subjected to its desires and its demands. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So before Christ becomes your Lord, you are just mindlessly following the patterns of this world and your flesh, hopelessly subjected to their desires and their wills over your life. But once Christ enters in, sin is overthrown in our lives. It's no longer our master. So if you can have nothing else to hold on to tonight, please just hold on to the simple but profound truth that if Christ has entered into your life, sin has been overthrown. It no longer holds mastery over you. It no longer holds control over your life. You're no longer held captive by it. You're no longer subjected to its demands. Paul makes it abundantly clear from verse 6 all the way down to verse 14. He says these statements. The body of sin has been brought to nothing. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We have been set free from sin. Sin does not have to reign within us, and it has no dominion over us. So if we're going to be instrumental for the kingdom, we've got to start putting sin in its place. But there's choice involved in that. That's why Paul says at the beginning of verse 12, let not sin reign in your body. Jesus thumped sin off the throne of your heart. But how many of you know it still tries to reclaim its position from time to time? It still tries to take that throne back from time to time. It's the nature of us battling our fleshly nature, our old self that's been done away with. And even though it's been stripped of its control and its authority, it still makes efforts at times to reclaim its position in our lives. I remember growing up as a kid, my dad, he was without a doubt the disciplinarian of the house. And I can remember him specifically telling me in moments when I would get out of line, boy, you better calm down. I'm going to put you back in your place. In other words, I'd gotten out of line. I'd gotten out of position. I was acting in a way in which I shouldn't have. And he was going to correct that if need be, if I couldn't self-correct it myself. Some of you as believers, as, as sons and daughters of the king, you need to adopt that kind of verbiage with the sin in your life and let it know that whenever it wants to crop back up and try and take positions that it's no longer allowed to hold anymore, that it needs to get back in its place. 
that there's a new master sitting on the throne of your heart, that those things no longer hold power or dominion or authority over your life. You got to put it back into position and understand first and foremost, a couple of key things that it has no control. Sin has no control over your life as a child of God. Paul states, make the choice to not let sin reign. Don't let it make you obey its passions. Verse 12 says, plain as day, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. To reign over something, simply put, means to exercise control over it. So what Paul is in essence teaching us is that sin no longer has the right to reign over what has been redeemed. No longer can it sit in that position anymore. No longer does it hold the authority to be master over your life. If you have been redeemed in Christ, sin no longer has control over your life. Its authority in your life has been revoked by the ultimate authority being Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says that after Christ went to the cross, what he did there, the work that he did there, this is the result of that. It disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame and it led to him triumphing over them. Those rulers, those authorities, those powers, those are the things that kept you shrouded in sin and enslaved to its passions and its desires. And Jesus says that when he went to the cross, I disarmed those things. Those things no longer hold authority over your life. Those things can no longer sit in a position of power. Now, the temptation still exists. The desire to sin still flares up at times. I understand that just as well as anybody. I'm not sitting here saying tonight, we're going to get to this in a moment, that I think any one of us can attain to sinless perfection. That's not what we're aiming at here. But what I'm trying to get you to understand here at the beginning is that some of you are giving sin a little bit too much authority in your life when it has none. You're allowing sin to have a little bit too much control over your life when it's completely lost every bit of it. Its authority, its control has been stripped. It can't make you obey its passions anymore. It cannot make you fall back into those former temptations that you once had anymore. Why? Because you have a new master on the throne of your heart. You don't have to go back to those things. It has no control. Its authority is gone. But it also holds no claim. I think I like this part as much as any of it. Verse 14, Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you. So he goes on to add that sin has no dominion. In other words, it holds no claim any longer over any part of who you are. You know what dominion is? Dominion is a territory that's owned by a ruler. So before you came to know Christ, sin once owned you. Your life, your heart, your soul, that was the ground that its kingship was built upon. But the good news is, Jesus went to war for that piece of ground. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says that he has delivered us from the domain or the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, that price being the blood of Jesus Christ. So glorify God in your body. So sin no longer holds claim over your life. It no longer holds ownership over any area, any facet of your life whatsoever. Why? Because Christ has won that from it. 
Sin's dominion has been taken over by the Savior's dominion, and now grace rules and reigns in your life. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin holds no ownership over any part of you now. That means your heart is not owned by sin. It's owned by the Savior. Your eyes, your mouth, your mind, your hands, your feet, every single part of you has had the power and the authority of sin taken away from it. It now holds no claim over you whatsoever because Christ owns you. Christ bought you with a price. What a love that the creator and savior of all people would have to buy back what was already rightfully his. But it just goes to show the great love that he has for us. Simply put, because once again I know the temptations are still there. I know the desires to sin still exist. So let me put it simply, sin only reigns when we relinquish. Let me say it like this. Sin can only take what you give. So let's make it practical so you can see maybe how this works out in your life. Immorality reigns only when self-control is relinquished. Gossip reigns only when the tongue is relinquished. Pride reigns only when humility is relinquished. Impure thoughts reign only when the mind is relinquished. See, the only reason sin holds claim in any part of your life is because you allow it to have it. When you relinquish the things that God has bought and taken over and sat his authority over, the only way that power or control or claim can be given back to what it was taken away from is if you absolutely yourself voluntarily relinquish it over. And we sit here and we wonder why, well, why do I continue to struggle with specific things if I'm really redeemed, born again, child of God, then I shouldn't be doing those things. You're right, you shouldn't be doing those things, so stop doing them. And I'm not trying to be like crass, but it's just that up front. And the harsh reality is that it, when it comes with dealing with the sin in our lives, when it comes to us as believers, are you ready? It's hard to deal with. Our sin is our choice. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know what Paul was telling these believers? Sin has lost its control over your life. So stop submitting yourself to that yoke of slavery again and again and again. Your sin is your choice. This devil made me do it stuff. That don't cut it. He doesn't hold authority over your life. He doesn't cause you to sin. He can't make you do anything. So we need to stop believing in such a way. And let me tell you the danger of thinking along those lines anyway, is that when you do so, you are, whether you realize it or not, elevating his authority above that of Christ in your life. Your sin is your choice. So my immorality as a child of God is my choice. My gossip as a child of God is my choice. My pride as a child of God is my choice. 
my uncontrolled anger, my unwholesome talk, my pathological lying, my impure thoughts, all those things are my choice. I told you it was rough to deal with. We were uh, on a mission trip one time to Tuscaloosa. I was just right out of college, like my first year out of college. And it was like 2011, 2012, and you remember all the tornadoes blew through, caused all kinds of just horrific damage. And so we went to Tuscaloosa on a mission trip to help with a couple of Habitat for Humanity builds. They were building a couple of houses in a neighborhood. So we linked arms with them down there, and we were going to help build those houses. And we were staying at a local church, and it was a good trip. It was a life-changing trip for me in ways in which I don't even have time to explain to you tonight. But I remember one thing specifically that stuck out to me on that trip, and you're going to think, I understand why it stuck out. And it's not anything like spiritual either. It's really terrible. We're on the bus. We had gotten finished working for the day. It was like the middle of summer. And I firmly believe that Tuscaloosa is one of the hottest places on the earth because it was literally 127 degrees every single day. Like we were doing roof work and I remember my, my shoes melting to the shingles. Like you try to take a step and it's like, that's how hot it was, just miserable. And so we had gotten back to the church and we had showered off and we were getting ready to go eat that night. And I don't know, it was maybe 10 or 12 of us and we had loaded up on the church bus that we were in and we were waiting for the driver to come out. And there was a stray dog that had hung around the church all week long. He kind of became like our mascot while we were there. But he had been around all week long. And I remember we're loading up, we're sitting on the bus and I look out the window and the dog's kind of standing out there just watching the sleeve and he starts giving it this kind of deal. And sure enough, he yaks all in the parking lot right there in front of every one of us. And we're getting ready to go eat. And we're all like, oh, my goodness. Oh, nasty. Like, I mean, it was just grody, like, everywhere. And so he, like, you know, he, he does a little. He, like, takes a few steps off. And he's standing there. And he's kind of licking his lips. And then he looks over back at it. And we're all like, No. We're like, please. And you know what's about to happen, but you like can't avert your eyes. You just can't help but look. So he starts walking back over, and we're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. He stands over it, and sure enough, he starts. Let's just say he had seconds. Hey, let me show you something. Proverbs 26, 11. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. You know what Christ says about those of us who are his people? He says, you going back to your sin after you have experienced redemption and grace, it's like going back and eating vomit. That's disgusting. We watch the dog do that, and it's just like, oh. And God says, I tell you what, that's pretty bad, isn't it? That's how you as my people look when you go back to your sinful ways I redeemed you from. Ain't nobody make the dog do it. Nobody got off that bus and put a gun to that dog's head. So you better get over there and clean that up or you're done. You know what he did? He willfully walked back over there 
He looked it up and down, and he indulged. Now tell me, we aren't the same way with our sin. Nobody makes you go over there and do that. The devil doesn't put a gun to your head. You walk back over and you take a look at it, and then we willfully choose to indulge. And you're like, Trey, come on, man, you're grossing us out. Like, I can't take anymore. That's the point. That's the point. You shouldn't want to take it anymore. It ought to make us sick to our stomach to think, man, Christ has redeemed me from that. Why am I going to go back and put it back in my belly? Let me say this. I told you sinless perfection isn't the aim because we're all flawed human beings and we fail and we make mistakes. Hey, listen, if you're a broken individual, you're in good company tonight. There's a room full of us. So let me say this. We will never be beyond sin. But we're also not beneath sin. That's why you've got to put sin in its place. As a child of God, you've got to understand that this side of heaven, until we receive our glorified bodies and sin is absolutely done away with after Christ returns, we're always going to struggle with it. We're never going to be beyond it being a part of our lives. But that does not mean that we have to see ourselves as being beneath it because Christ and his authority has set you over it. It's about high time that we as followers of Jesus got sick of the sin in our life. And I love each and every one of you enough to tell you that and to challenge you with it. Stop settling for lukewarmness. There's only one time in Scripture that Jesus vomits. It says, when you're lukewarm, you make me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be hot or cold. And if it was up to me, I'd rather be hot for Jesus. I'd rather be on fire for him. I'd rather have the flames of his spirit burning bright within me and such a distaste for sin that I never want to go back to that garbage ever again. Put sin in its place, men and women of God. It's your choice. It's your choice. That's going to get us to the next point. Put sin in its place, and if you're going to be an instrument for the kingdom, you've got to pick your presentation. Look at verse 13. Let's rehash again. It says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul essentially lays out what will be two options for us to pick from, but there really shouldn't be an option. He commands us to not present our members or our bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but to present our members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, you get to pick how you present yourself. Will we allow ourselves to be used as instruments for unrighteousness? Or will we make the choice to allow ourselves to be used as instruments for righteousness? And I'm going to tell you straight up that this is a daily choice and commitment. It's something each and every day we are faced with the decision of. Each day I choose whether or not I'm going to gratify the desires of my flesh or if I'm going to walk in the ways of his spirit. Every day it's a choice that we make. One leads to unrighteousness. One leads to righteousness. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship. Each and every day we make the choice whether we're going to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice to God for his wills and his ways or for our own selfish wills and ways. Each day I make it a point in prayer, or at least I have here recently, to ask God to use me as an instrument for righteousness. Every part of me, every single part of me, I ask him to take it up. I offer it to him personally so that he might take it up and use it in a righteous way. That's the essence behind when he says, present your members, all parts of you, for righteousness' sake. So let me show you a few things. This is really cool because God doesn't just, God doesn't just put things in his word at random as if we can't do it. It's because it sounds good. And, and, and you know, you've got like a, you, you got an 800-word paper, and you're just finding like filler words to fill in the gaps. God doesn't use any filler words in his word. Every single one of them are purposed. And everything that he outlines for us to do, everything that he commands for us to follow, he shows us how to do that very thing. So let me show you something. Look at Colossians 3.2. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. When I do that, my mind is presented for righteousness. Psalm 101.3 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So when I do that, my eyes are then presented for righteousness. Psalm 141 verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. When I do that, my mouth has now been presented for righteousness. Mark chapter 4 verse 23 and 24, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. So when I do that, my eyes are presented for righteousness. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. When I do that, my heart is now presented for righteousness. Psalm 90.17 says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So when I do that, my hands are now presented for righteousness. Romans 10.15 says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When I do that, my feet are presented for righteousness. So every single part of me can be handed over to use in a righteous way for God. My mind can be set on things above. My eyes can be averted from things that don't want to be looking at. My mouth can be guarded and the things that I say can be protected. My ears can be inclined to hear the things of God. My heart can be set upon him. My hands can be handed over to him for his work and my feet can be used to carry the good news of his gospel wherever it is he desires for it to go. That's what an instrument for righteousness looks like. Somebody who submits every single part of who they are over to God for his glory. 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If our bodies are members of Christ, then they are to be used for Christ. It should be our desire each day to be taken up by him and used as an instrument in his hands for the building of his kingdom. It should be our desire each and every day to get up and say, God, use me as an instrument for righteousness on my campus, in my dorm, around my friends, around my family, on the athletic field, at my job, within my sorority or my fraternity. God, send us to wherever you want us to go, to whoever you want us to go to, as instruments in your hand for the glory of your name and your renown in the building of your kingdom. What do you think God could do with a group of people who submitted themselves over to being used as instruments for righteousness? You think some cool stuff is going on around here right now? You think some cool stuff is going on around campus right now? 
What would happen if 150 college students daily said, here I am, Lord. I present myself to you this day to be taken up in your hands as an instrument for righteousness. We, uh, I got to get my game. I forgot my game. We're going to play a game real quick. It's a real simple game. As a matter of fact, Graham's become like an expert at it. Y'all are familiar? Yeah. We're going to play a game. I got one shape. Obviously, it comes with like five, but I got one. So, obviously, you know the object of the game, right? You take all the different shapes. So, we got a triangle, we got a circle, we got a square, we got a star, and we got a med plus <laughs> signal, whatever. And you got to match the shapes for the proper hole, right? In order for it to fit, in order for it to work. And so, Graham, he started playing this at an early age. And it's funny to watch the progression and the development of young minds. So at first, when he would play, you know, he didn't know shapes. He didn't know which one went where. So he would take the triangle, try and put it in like the round peg. And about, no, son, like, that's, that's not, I got to try another one. But he would keep trying like the round peg. And so maybe he would move over to the square. He'd try to put it in the square. Guess what? Triangle's not going in the square. No, son, you got to keep, keep trying. Keep, you, you can find it. So he'd move over to the star. And it's like, you know, you think law of averages. He'd finally just guess and get it right. But it's like every other one. And so, you know, what happens eventually with kids is he doesn't get it to work. He can't get it to fit. So he gets frustrated and throws it down and moves on to something else. He's like, forget this game. Life's too short to play silly games. Let's play. I need a volunteer. Huh. I'm going to get Sarah. Sarah, I need help. All right, so I want you to try here in a second. Tell everybody what shape you got. It's a triangle. So, I want you to try and put the triangle in the square. Come on, you get better effort than that. Oh, oh. Not going? It's close, though. Try and get it in the star. Nothing. The circle? No? Okay, we'll see if you can, like, see if you can change the shape. It, don't, no, it won't mold. It's not like Play-Doh, hard plastic. So you're not going to be able to change the shape whatsoever to get it to fit in any of those holes. Hold on to my shape for a second. So many of us, over time, who have been redeemed by Christ, who have been set free, who have been placed into his kingdom with a purpose and a plan, we don't offer ourselves up as an instrument for righteousness. Now, I told you earlier that this is a choice that you make. And so here's the other side of that. You need to know that God's not going to force your choice as an instrument. He's not going to force you to be used for his glory. He's not going to force you to be used for his plan. He's not going to force you to be used for his purposes. Now, he's provided the freedom and the opportunity for you to be taken up in his hands. But if you don't make the choice to be taken up, and to be molded, and to be shaped 
then you're never going to fit into his plans and into his purposes. And after so many opportunities of taking your life and having you be unwilling to fit into the places that he desires to put you and to take you, eventually, not like my son getting frustrated and, and walking off and being done with it because God's grace ever extends to us, but he will set you down. And he'll find another willing vessel. And he'll come along and take their life up. Let's try the triangle. And he'll use them for the things that were meant for you. And you'll miss out on fitting into his plan. You'll miss out on fitting into his purposes. You'll miss out on experiencing his desires for your life, all because you were unwilling to be taken up and to offer yourself as an instrument for righteousness for him. Now, is it worth it to miss out on the things that God has in store for your life as one of his children? Absolutely not. I can give you testimony of somebody who missed out on all kinds of opportunities. I could take this mic around the room to some of these adults in the back that could testify of the opportunities that they have missed out on because they were unwilling at those specific seasons of their life to be taken up by God and used as an instrument for righteousness in his hands. Listen, you guys have a very, very limited opportunity in this season of life that you are in, and I don't want any one of you to look back one day and realize that God was trying to fit me into a square peg, but I wanted to be in a circle one. I know it may sound silly, silly, simple game. But if you'll let him mold you and shape you, the cool thing about our God is that for each and every one of us as one of his followers, he's got a specific shape cut out just for you. So let him use you in that way. And don't worry about where all the other pegs are going. Who gets to do what and who gets to do it where? Nobody else's calling is any more significant or greater than your own. But allow him to use you, to pick you up as an instrument for righteousness. And put sin in its place. Stop living underneath the authority of something that has no authority, that has no control, that has no claim over your life. And day in and day out, let us be a people who make the choice to pick and choose that today, Lord, use me as an instrument for righteousness in your hand. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.